continuing on, verse 16. Many people claim this scripture that think they're Christians, and they've been deceived. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Oh, I've heard many people, when they're born again, that's all they need. No matter what they do afterwards, the Spirit testifies. That ain't what it means. He bears witness continually. He gives us peace and joy. And it's the one that people always leave out. It says righteousness. Well, if you're not walking righteously, you don't have any of the goods. Okay? So the Spirit of the Father, the Holy Spirit, Christ is that Spirit, Paul says, testifies. He bears witness. He confirms, agrees with the human spirit that's born again. The human spirit that we are his. He tells us. Okay? Now, those who practice all the sins that Paul spoke, and they're not led by the Spirit, and they think he's going to bear witness, and he does, they're lied. He's not bearing witness to practicing sinners. See? And when Paul named all the sins, he said, don't be lied to. He meant by false shepherds and people. If you live this way, you will not make it to heaven. And then he warned another verse down or so, he said, God's wrath is upon those that don't be partakers with them. What did it mean? He's saying to the Christian, if you start living that way, you're going to partake of God's wrath like the wicked are. He didn't say you have a license to sin. Oh, you're once saved, always saved. No. Yeah. So he said, that's it. That's how they live. So many false teachers have offered their followers false peace. I've heard them do it. I've heard people counsel false counselors. When a person's living in adultery, a lie, they're trying to convince that person they're still a Christian. Why are they living in it? See, they're just as false as they are. They should spend more time focusing on, you better get out of it, because God's wrath will come upon you. And even if you are a Christian, he has no bastards. So if you really do this, you're going to be dealt with by God severely. They don't even warn them about that, see, because they're false shepherds. They want to confirm in a lie, and that's not the Spirit's witness, okay? So they believe the false shepherds, once saved, always saved. It's faith alone. Well, that's wonderful if you stay saved. You know, I believe you can be once saved, always saved if you stay in Christ. If you don't, that don't apply anymore, okay? Okay. Let's go to Romans 14, verse 7. We'll come back to it, of course, later on as we're in Romans, but it's we'll forget some of it by then, so we'll go to it anyway. 17, 14. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink. It's not ritual, ceremonies. He was talking to Christians that were afraid to eat certain things and this and that. They were still under various weak bondages that the true Christian was free from these ordinances and stuff. Well, some of them came out of Judaism and other, and they were still hanging on to these, and they felt bound by it. And Paul called them weak Christians, okay? But he said the true kingdom of God is what he's talking about. It's not those kind of order. He said, it's, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, how come the professing Christian that thinks he's once saved, always saved, and he's living in sin, where is his practical righteousness? See, he wants to say, oh, it's in Christ. Well, if it ain't in you, 
it ain't no good, okay? It has to be working in you. So if you have peace of God, I've had people say they have peace of God while they're living in adultery. And I said, <laughs> you don't get it. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace. They go together. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits. So if you have peace and joy and you don't have righteousness, you've got false peace and false joy. Okay? So the Lord said, if you come to me, I'll give you peace, not as the world. But that's if you follow him. See? That's the condition. Stay with him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit joining with our spirit. He is the spirit of Christ that helps us live and overcome in this life. So if you don't have that practically, then you're not in the Lord. You're backslidden or you never had the gospel. But people want the false shepherds to tell them they're okay. Well, because they get more money that way if they make you happy. They're merchandisers. They merchandise you. They tell the people what they want to hear and make them feel good. What's going to happen, though, when they stand before God? You ain't going to be able to blame it on anybody else. You'll say, well, my pastor said this. And the Lord may say, well, your pastor's in hell. And all those people are lying to you. And you let them, so you're here. So that's going to be a horrible place. Okay. So many of them speak of joy and peace. I just want to know where's the righteous and the practical holy living. Oh, I've heard professing Christians tell me, well, I don't want to be a do-gooder. I don't want to be a holier than thou. I said, well, you won't make it to heaven. See, because they're afraid the world will make fun of them. Of course they will. They want to love the world. And God said through John, he said, if you want to be a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. See? They're more worried about what people think. And all those people as a whole are going to be in the lake of fire, and their opinion is not going to mean zilch. So you better not worry about that. And that's what he made. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you. There is no hidden holiness. There's no secret Christian. And then you go out and live like you want to. And that's what most of them are doing. Then they come on Sunday or turn the radio on or talk, and they listen and they praise the Lord and all of this. But they don't let other people know they're a Christian. Unless they're frivolous people. They don't care. So we're saying if you don't have holiness and you don't walk in purity and righteousness, you don't have spiritual works. And see, isn't that what James said? Faith without works is dead. And what did Paul say that agreed just with it? He said, if you're under grace, should you continue and sin? God forbid. He said, don't you know whoever you obey, that's who your master is? If you obey righteousness, that's the righteous one and you live righteously, he said, you have God. And if you don't, you bear sin, your future is death. He talked about it's whoever you obey. He actually makes it as clear as, as James does. James calls it works. He calls it obedience. And they both talked about bearing fruit. Well, you don't hear the greasy graces talk much about that, and that's Paul's teaching, okay? So they think they can exclude the other people. Well, they're going to find out to their own destruction, like Peter said, by twisting Paul's writings on grace and faith. Peter said they did it. He said, as they do all scripture. 
he kisses a clear word that Paul's epistles were scripture. He says, as they do all scripture to their own damnation. They twist or torture scripture. They take one or two verses out and they build their doctrine on it. Well, they're going to find out it won't stand. So Christ does not confirm those who keep practicing gross sins and do not produce uprightness, purity, and goodness in a practical life. The Father will cut that person off from the vine if he was a Christian, if he has no fruit anymore, if he doesn't have any spiritual works, and he's not obedient or not forthcoming, they get cut off. Okay? And people want to know when. I'd say, oh, you're just looking for it. The father waited two or three years for some of the fruit, and then he'll cut it off. See, Christ was interceding. But he didn't apply that that time period was fixed. Because in Revelation, he says, repent quickly, lest I take your lampstand away. He didn't have no time period. And people say, well, what can I do? I said, you're already feeling a wicked heart. See, they want to know how far can I go and still be a Christian, but still enjoy the world. You are revealed you're a wicked person. <laughs> you're not going to make it. I hear many people say, well, I hope I make it. And I said, well, you're not going to, and that shocks them. Well, you don't know. Oh, yes, I do, because you don't have the witness of the Spirit. You're not following the Lord. You're not dealing with your sin and keeping short accounts with the Lord. You, you just have a wish, and that wish ain't going to be granted. Hope is based on truth. Faith and hope go together. Okay? So many people use that scripture out of context. Yeah, I'm a Christian because my pastor told I was. Well, what do you talk about your gross sins you do? Oh, he says, I'll just be a carnal Christian and I will have no rewards. <laughs> well, you'd be wondering when you're in hell where your rewards are. And where your life is, and that's why you could be moaning and groaning and wailing for eternity. Because you can see how hopeless and foolish you were, and there's nothing can be done about it. So that's the horror of hell. Okay. 17 is a continuation. And if we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs or joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. All Christians suffer for their Christianity. Oh, you may not be openly persecuted. You may live in a society that just doesn't openly do it. But if you live righteously, worldly Christians or false Christians, they don't want to hang around with you. You make them feel uncomfortable in their sins. They don't want to hear it. They don't like do-gooders. They don't like a spiritual fanatic, see? Because they're of the world. Uh-huh. And so that's what he's saying. Uh-huh. So he said, if we suffer with him, well, what did the apostle tell us? All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, often it's verbal. It says they'll separate from your company. They don't want to have nothing to do with you. They'll speak evil of you. The false shepherds and the churchgoers, they, oh, we don't need, he's a fanatic. You know, he's not loving. We just want a forgiving God, and he'll say, I always forgive no matter what I do. See, that's what they want to hear. So they're going to get it, okay? God's going to see that they get it. They continue 
in their rebellion against his spirit. Okay, So we suffer. The Christian suffers by three methods, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are tempted and lured by demonic forces. We have to contend with our own nature daily. No matter, you can go to a monastery, you can go and live alone, but you still have to deal with that flesh. Yeah, you can't get away from it. You have to live it. You have to overcome it. And the world system and the world thinking, he said, those are the enemies we contend with, and they create suffering for us. The Bible says that Lot was not a carnal Christian. People like say, oh, he was a carnal Christian. I don't see no contact. The Lord himself said he was righteous. And righteous Lot was delivered before God rained fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And it said he was vexed with the deeds of those around him. He was troubled. He was disturbed. See, because he lived righteously and he saw saw all this wickedness around him and they didn't want to hear anything godly. It said it vexed him. See, he was understanding like Abraham, he was a pilgrim. He wasn't of this world. No, I don't see no scripture that says he was a carnal Christian. If he was carnal and wicked, he wouldn't have been delivered from the city, okay? So we are heirs. Heirs is future. Our hope is future. Our final salvation is future. Now that disturbs the lying shepherd. Once saved, always saved. Uh-uh. Our salvation is in the present as we continue in the vine. If we don't, we don't have eternal life because we don't have the vine anymore. But those who walk in the Spirit have eternal life. And if they do it to the end of their life, then they'll get an inheritance, a permanent salvation. That's what he's talking about. People don't like that word. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we adopted children, then we are heirs with Christ. When we suffer for resisting the flesh, the world, and the devil, then we prove under this probation, this pilgrimage, this warfare, that we're serving the Lord, then we will share in his glory, as he does with the Father. So he gained many things for us that he gives to us because he overcame. Okay? So that's what he's talking about. He gives his inheritance to his brothers and sisters and the children of God. He shares it with them. 18, I love this scripture. People need to read it and understand it, though. It's only to those who walk in the Spirit. It's only to those who are following the Lord, not to those who are walking in the flesh. For I consider, I've reasoned out, that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Most translations say in us. The glory is going to be revealed in us. Two sort of outside. In means in us. See, We already have Christ in the first fruits, but it's going to be a lot different later. Okay? I have reasoned out and compared, is what he means. The sufferings for Christ in his kingdom cannot be compared a weight against the glory that would be revealed in us. Okay, most translations. James 4, 14. Wherein you do not know, or should you know this, 
what will happen tomorrow, you don't. He said, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Well, it speaks of our whole life. (laughs) Yeah, your life is a vapor. It's just going to appear for a little time. Our probation is a short period. So what if we live to be 70, 80, or 90? To eternity, never-ending existence, everlasting life of joy, holiness, and communion with God, how can you compare trillions of centuries to 70 years? How can you compare a drop of water in all the oceans? Then it looks so very small, doesn't it? So even our warfare, our sorrows and conflicts, we have a high priest in those who helps and gives grace. And grace is not just unmerited favor. Grace to the Christian is strength to overcome. That's what it is. Uh-huh. He comforts and encourages us in this early lifespan. So we're not told we have to do all the suffering and fighting by ourselves. We're given abilities. The Christian is. We have certain promises that have to be used here. We won't make it to the next kingdom. Look at Revelation. To one of the churches, 3, 12. To the church of Sardis. Now that speaks well. We're in Laodicea and Sardis most likely. He said to the whole church, you have a name, you're alive, but you're dead. But he said he had a few that hadn't defiled their garments. So we have a lot of Christianity and a lot of popular things out there. And the Lord said it's dead. It's not true Christianity. Okay. But those who overcome to the end, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. A pillar, a fixed structure in the temple that helps hold up the temple. He said, and you won't go out anymore. There won't be any possibility of backsliding or sinning. All that's going to be in the past. We will be as God in that holiness. God has no temptation to evil. He has no, we'll be the same way. There'll be nothing because there'll be no world, the flesh of the devil then. Okay. So that's the promise to the person that it overcomes, okay? He's fixed. Okay, let's look at another scripture, Revelations 21, 22. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus in the beginning says, I'm going to make you a pillar in my Lord's temple. And yet we're told there is no temple. He's going to make a pillar in Christ himself, in God. See? We live and move and have our being in him now, and yet we're not conscious of it. God is going to be all in all. See? He ain't going to be like the prosperity people. They're going to spend the eternity running around building mansions with their gold bricks. Well, who cares? One of the greatest sins, it says in the first part of Romans, is they love the creation more than they love the creator. See, oh, when I get to heaven, I'll do this and that. Uh Uh-uh. The full revelation of heaven is we will have communion and existence in God that we were made for. And like Jesus said, the angels who are holy 
and always do his will, they always behold the face of the Father. It don't matter where they are in the universe. He ain't talking about a physical face. They're seeing the full glory of who the Father is and what they can comprehend, what he's made them for. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The actual translation is, and the Word was face-to-face -to, -face to God. The Son was face-to-face -face with the Father. Fully revelations of each other. So heaven is a relationship. Anything else is a sideline. And by the way, there are no mansions in heaven. It says the little biting place. Well, the abiding place could be anywhere you are. When Gabriel reproved Zechariah, he said, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. He didn't say, I stood. He means wherever he's at. He's in God's full presence. Isn't that astounding? Uh -huh. So people forget that. So we go be fixed in the Lord. There ain't no building there. It says he's the temple. God is the all in all. Christ is all. Okay. So we saw no temple. Okay, for the Lord and the Lamb are its temple. Okay, so there was no structural temple. Things in heaven sometimes are given as John says, they're like this, they're like that. We don't know if some of them are literal. He's dealing with people who have no comprehension of a lot of deep things because we're not capable. How do you explain to a three-month-old baby what color is and what physics is? He can't even understand what you're saying, much less. But there, we'll understand and have a communion that's possible because we will put on immortality and we will be in the perfect image what he made us for. Since we'll be like angels. Okay? So there's no structure. We are fixed. We're standing forever in God, in God's presence. So heaven is not mere things. It is God himself. So even here on earth, Paul said we live and move and have our being in him. He was quoting one of the earthly prophets. It is true. So the worst sin in the world that thinks God's the furthest away from him, he's sustained by God, and he doesn't know it. He thinks God's far. But God upholds all laws. He fills his universe. There is not a place he is not. But he's not opened himself up and revealed himself to the wicked. Sin has blinded. Sin has, when Adam and Eve sinned, God started to make provision and clothe them. But they lost what they had. And they were driven from the garden. And an angel, a cherub, guarded it with a sword so they could not take of the tree of life and live forever. And they understood that. He meant the angel would strike them dead if they tried to get into the garden because they couldn't approach him anymore. Their life was marred because of the fall. Well, we will partake of the so-called tree of life. Whether it's literal or not, it don't matter. He's telling us something. Christ is eternal life. He said, to know me and the Father is eternal life. He didn't say lots of things in heaven and a rocking chair and you'll be doing all the things you want. See, that's speaking of the earthly. And he can't explain these things. And sometimes he gives people a glance like he did Paul. He said it was impossible 
to utter what he had been shown. And John said there was like this and it was like that, but he didn't say it was literal. He's trying to compare to the human. The most we think of in the world monetarily is gold. And that's what's important to everybody, money and what backs it. And what did he say? You'll walk on that in heaven. So I don't think the prosperity people will be running around building mansions after mansions with gold. They're not going to be there. They were materialistic and covetous. They're going to be in the lake of fire. Okay? So we live and move and have our being in him. But it's only those who receive Christ in them. See, he reveals to the Christian a different kind of presence. But he's everywhere. He ain't a place you can get that he's not there. But he's not in relationship with the wicked and the world. Oh, he full loved the world. He still has good intentions and benevolence toward them. But if they don't come to the Lord, his wrath, his anger and holiness will come against them and does. They can experience it in this life if God sees fit. So their heaven for the believer is to behold the face of God. That simply means the full communion, the life eternal, what we were made for. He said all that the Son has, he gives to the brethren. It says that those who obey the Lord, Jesus, he said, my Father will love them as he has loved me. Now, look at that. As he has loved me, the Father is going to love us like he did Christ. Well, how much do you love Christ? It's saying something, isn't it? Verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The fallen world. Now, many people and many translators argue over this scripture, what it means. So there is no real consensus. So I guess I'll have to tell you what it is. Well, my understanding is. But the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The fallen world, fallen mankind, is waiting for the full inheritance for the Christian. When the mortal puts on immortality, because of Adam's fall, the creation, animal, plant kingdom, all of that, and the Adamic nature that comes on humans, passed on. It was a certain curse that affected them. See? God saw wise to do this. He did not cut them off like he did the demons. He was starting to make provisions immediately to redeem man and to soften the blow, if you will. He didn't do that with the demons because they lived in the full face of God for how many centuries, we don't know how many tricks, and he has nothing else to offer them. So he took everything holy out of them. They are impossible of repentance. They're fixed in their evil. Man is not fixed. Man is not totally depraved. Even the fallen man, as we talked about, Cain was warned by God, you'll be accepted if you do good. And if you don't, that animal lays waiting to pounce on you. It was the spirit of murder. So God knew he was able to resist it. He didn't say he was perfected. He was in the fallen. He said, but you don't have to give in to it. And he did. Okay? And there were consequences. So sin brings sickness, sorrow, deaths. But the Lord allows this so he could find, we use it in human terms, so he would find a solution and an answer for this. 
And he does this. So God's grace has always been here. People talk about, well, when Jesus came, he came with grace. No, he came with the extension and grace abundantly. God has always been gracious. When he drove man out, he killed animals to symbolize he drew blood to cover their nakedness. He didn't kill them. He didn't leave them alone. He decided to work with them. But they couldn't have what they had because sin was in the picture. And they understood that. And there was punishments and there were consequences. Sickness, death, labor, and giving birth admitted these things was part of the fall. I've heard some people say, and I thought it might be true, the reason Adam was given a labor to sweat and the reason the woman has travail in the birth is he keeps them occupied. If a man did not have labor in his wicked state or his fallen state, he'd go crazy. He had to do something. And you see many wicked people, they're restless. You lock them away, you put them somewhere, they go crazy. They kill it. See, they, the demons are like that, but there's no solution for them. They're fixed in darkness. They're wandering spirits. They have no peace. They're in misery, and they want to make everybody else misery. That's their nature. Okay. So he would find a solution. So he limited his punishment. He didn't give them the full measure. He decided to be merciful. So judgment is with mercy. See, people forget judgment and mercy, two sides of God that work together. He delights in mercy, but he delights in judgment. It says judgment with mankind. The scripture says is God's strange work. It means his nature, it would rather be kind and merciful and loving, but judgment did not come into play until the devil sinned. They never saw the wrath of God before the fall of Lucifer and the angels. They never experienced God's anger. It wasn't needed. There was no sin. Okay? So that may be why they thought they could get away with it. Uh So people say, I've heard them say all the time, especially the heretics, well, God is just, but he doesn't have to be fair. No, you can't separate those. God is just and fair. And if he gives more grace... There's more judgment later. He's no respecter of persons. He's being gracious to whom he will, but God forbid if they don't yield to that grace, they're going to be punished more than the one that he doesn't show grace to. So he's just in all of his dealings. He's no respecter of persons. He can honor a person that honors him, and he can dishonor a person that doesn't. But initially, he's fair and just in all of his dealings. He has no favorites. See, some people think they're going to be favored. They're not. They're not special. You're not special in that sense. You have nothing that God desires. He doesn't love you because. He loves you because you have intrinsic value. It means because of who you are. You're made in his image. There ain't anything else that you do to contribute to that. But then there's other consequences and bonuses and consequences to evil when you start doing things, good and bad. Well, that's his way too. So he's fair. Those who get more grace are going to go to a greater hell, greater punishment if they despise that grace. Remember we read earlier, Paul said to the Jews, 
to continue in their stubbornness. Well, he said, you're storing up wrath. Don't you know it's the mercy of God that's holding off his judgment? And you're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. He's saying what? Every day that God is extending grace to you, you're going to pay for if you don't yield to it. You're going to give an account for every idle word you said. So if God extends much grace, there's be further greater punishment. Remember, Jesus told the towns he went to. Some of them he didn't have nothing good to say to. He said, you're wicked. And he said, Sodom and Gomorrah will do better at the day of judgment than you will. Isn't that something? Under the old covenant, the Jewish covenant, they thought Sodom and Gomorrah was the greatest example of God's judgment on wicked man. And Jesus told the towns he went to that they're going to be better than you at the day of judgment because you've been given greater light and greater miracles and greater insight and you're rejecting it. So you can see that's where that's going to come in. Let's go to one more scripture. Let's go to Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. Now the Lord appears to Moses as he puts him in a cleft of a rock and he manifests himself in some vision, some glorious revelation. And it said, and the Lord passed before him and he proclaimed, he spoke to him. This is Jehovah God talking to him. The Lord, Jehovah, Jehovah God, that's what it meant back then merciful and gracious. That's the Lord saying this. He's telling you who he is. He said, merciful and gracious, long-suffering. Well, you've got three good things there, don't you? Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. Now, this is the God of the Old Testament, they say. He's very similar to Jesus, isn't he? And then he adds, keeping mercy for many. Forgiving iniquity. Well, this all sounds like Jesus, does it? Because he is Jesus. Jesus, Jehovah. He is. This is Christ in him. The divine Godhead. And what does he say, though? But by no means clearing the guilty. He said he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. All forms and methods. He said, but no means clearing the guilty. If people don't repent, and they don't follow the law, and they don't do what he wants, he says then he will not clear them. And their sins will continue on. The sins of the fathers, it's their personality, it's the old man being translated, and children sometimes reap the consequences. Individual, they don't when they stand before. But because we are the fall, we, we inherit many of these things. And he's saying that God will punish the wicked when he's ready. And he does some of it in this life. The transferring of the Adamic nature is one form that he does. But he still gives mercy and he still helps. He helps those people. He never said they were sinless. And he said they could be good and righteous if they follow my laws. But they did not have Christ in them. He dealt with them at a different standard. But he knew, like Cain, they could murder or not murder. It was within their ability, okay? They weren't forced to do it, or they were tempted, okay? So we are going to close at this verse. We'll continue in verse 19 the next time. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us insight. Show us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever.
In Jesus' name, amen.